Hey, how's it going, everybody? Before I get started today, I just wanted to take a minute and uh, let you know where you can find me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at LoganFitch12 or on Facebook at LoganFitch. For the podcast, you can follow me on Spotify. You can subscribe on Apple. While you're there, go ahead and give me a rate and review. I'm also available on Anchor, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Overcast, and Breaker. My conversation this week is with Laura Allen. Um, we talk about her background, why she decided to study what she studies, what drew her to that, and then just kind of talk about the importance of ageism and how we need to be more aware and how we tend to act in, in an ageist way. Um, it really opened my eyes, and I really enjoyed this conversation. I really liked learning about this. Uh, I just hope you guys enjoy it, and you can take something away from it as well. So how are you? I'm good. <laughs> good. Okay, so Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself, me included. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I am from Kentucky. Um, I grew up in Crittenden, Kentucky, okay. which is in like southern Kitten County. So I'm technically a northern Kentucky girl, um, but I grew up on a small farm of just like 21 acres with my parents and my brother. Um, my brother is seven years older than me. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I grew up on a farm. It was not really, it was a working farm, but it was not like our source of income. Okay. So my parents had uh, jobs. They work with, they both work for the extension service, okay. um, which is like the 4-H office mm -hmm. in every county. Um, so they both do that. Um, so I'm an extension kid. <laughs> okay. I know a lot about the University of Kentucky Extension Service. Um, spent a lot of nights at like their like evening programs, just like in the back doing my homework while they're like teaching and stuff. <laughs> okay, um, <laughs> so uh, what? So did your um, did you have animals on the farm, uh, or is it? Yeah, we did. I did. We had like some random animals. So, okay. Like just like sporadic, I guess. So I we had chickens for a while. to be like a big problem because we had snakes coming in every night mm -hmm. and like eating the chickens it was kind of yeah the barn was really far from the house um and then I did a few 4-H livestock projects so I raised a lamb one year um and then you like I don't know if you know anything about 4-H livestock but you do you know anything about it not 4-H my grandpa has a farm and so like okay. I've kind of been raised on a farm not on a farm type deal. Um, so yeah. I know like a little bit. I feel like I know enough to get by. Um, but not like 4-H. Uh, we, we've never had any, we've never had lamb. We've had, I guess the closest thing would be a goat. Uh, we never had sheep or anything <laughs> like that. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I had, uh, with, for, with a 4-H livestock project, it's like youth, kids who do it, and you like raise this one livestock animal and you have like weight check-ins periodically. It's like kind of like through the spring and then in the summer at the county fair, they have like a show. So you like go and show your animal and then you like get placed in a class. Like if you won first place or second place, I don't think I ever placed. I was, 
so bad. And I was like a really timid kid. So I just like hated being out in front of everyone. And, mm-hmm. Like you're just this like wild animal that you have to like corral with <laughs> you and stuff. So, and sheep are really, really stupid. I don't know if you knew that, okay. but they're like no. some of the dumbest animals on a farm. Um, like, <laughs> yeah, like when you go to shear a sheep. Okay. So like we had to do that a couple of times and we bought this like, stand that's like a couple feet off the ground it's just a metal stand has like four legs and like a pole at one end that like they put their muzzle in uh-huh. and then it, it like you wrap a chain like around the back of their head to like keep them there while mm-hmm. you shear them and they're just at your height but you cannot leave a, a lamb alone on one of those things because if they fall off like if they like oh. like did, you know accidentally like place a leg off and they fall off they'll just let themselves hang. Yeah. Like they won't try to fight for themselves. <laughs> like they won't fight to get back up on the platform. They'll just die. <laughs> so you can't That's leave crazy. them alone because otherwise they'll just like die. Kill themselves. <laughs> <laughs> so sheep are really stupid. Um, and mine was like really attached. My friend, he also raised his sheep at our farm and showed it and they were really attached but they were in different weight classes so they were like freaking out in the ring anyway so <laughs> i did that i did a sheep and i raised a sheep and then i also did a pig one year okay which pigs are smarter mm-hmm. um i think pigs are more fun because yeah. they're just like way dirtier and like and because when i did the sheep i was like 11 or 12 okay and so after the show you there's an auction and so like local businesses will come and then they'll buy the the hog or the lamb and to like support the youth Mm -hmm. of the county and then they usually a lot of times they'll give it back to you and it's then you can sell it for more money to market okay um or then that or the business can decide that they want to sell it to market yeah um and so for a lamb you get at the time I would get around like you would get around like 600 would wow. be like a, yeah and so I sold my lamb and then they gave it back to me and so my parents were like all right like we're gonna sell them to the market so you get a little bit more money and then like the market like the trailer is there and they just like ship them, Take off. them off yep and I was like a mess you know? <laughs> it's like cute lamb and I like named it and now oh. I feel like it's gonna go die and be eaten like you know, and I knew that but my parents were like, you knew this the whole time. Like we had these discussions and I'm like, I know, but it's so cute. So a pig was a little bit easier to let go of than, yeah. a, than a lamb. Yeah. But anyway, I did not expect to get into 4-H livestock. Hey, whatever you want to talk about. I love it. Like, <laughs> but I did actually had a question about that. Um, did yeah. you get to choose which animal or was there like this year you have to raise a lamb, this year you have to raise a pig? Mm-hmm. How'd that work? You get to choose. Okay. So the, th- the three, I mean, at the time I did it, I think it's the same. My dad still does, um, he's the agriculture agent, so he still works okay. with that every year. But um, you do, you can either do a pig, a sheep, like a lamb, or um, a steer. Okay. And those are the, like a, a steer is like the, the big money maker. That's what I was going to say. That's, the, that's where the big bucks come in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's a lot more work and like, yeah. you know. You got to be a little bit bigger to handle a steer, and yep. I'm like, way too small. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, so 
those were the farm animals. Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 continue. And then I also had a horse. Okay. So I did eventually get a horse when I was about the time I finished my livestock projects, project years. Then I got a horse. Um, I started taking horse lessons. And then, well, first started the horse lessons, got a horse. And then um, actually the reason I got into horses or interested in them. So I, when I was in the fifth grade, I went to Australia on a trip. And I don't know if you've ever heard of like a people to people student ambassadors. No. But it's this like, it's this like program started by President Eisenhower. And it's like, like the kids who got like the gifted and talented letters in school, you know, they also would like usually get invited to like these trips and you could like go on this trip and it's like kind of academic, but you like get to see on their culture mm-hmm. and it's supposed to like promote like, I don't know, engagement with other cultures and peace, world peace kind of thing. Yeah, okay. And so I got invited and most people, their parents are just like, no way, you're not doing this. Like my parents were like, you are doing this. <laughs> and I didn't want to go, you know, I was like, no way I have to go without you guys, like with 30 other kids to another country for two weeks. Like, I don't know anything about Australia. So my parents were like, no, you're going. So um, I went for two weeks there and it was really fun. It was my first time out of the country. I mean, fifth grade is like really young yeah yeah especially by yourself (laughs) yeah I know my parents are crazy um and took pictures of like the dumbest stuff you know (laughs) like I like look back on the picture like what was I like we like went to the opal museum and I like zoomed in on like every opal and was like this is amazing you know took a picture of like (laughs) everything so um yeah but anyway but at one point we went to a farm like in the outback okay. of Australia and we saw wild horses and then we got to ride horses on the farm and I was like I'm in love like I want a horse so bad so I came home to Kentucky from Australia and wanted a horse my parents were like that's what it took it took for you to go to Australia <laughs> even though we live in Kentucky <laughs> to want to get a horse so uh so that's how I got into it and then I took lessons for like a year and a half and then got a horse mm-hmm. his name was boomerang perfect he actually recently I love died it like a couple years ago oh I'm sorry um thanks yeah uh we were the same age so I got him when I was like 13 um and we boarded him for a while because it, it, we, our barn just wasn't ready for a horse mm-hmm. um and then we brought him home we had him there for a few months and then it was like really he needed we had a couple barn cats but like he didn't have any companions yeah you know and, yeah. He, and horses are really need companions mm-hmm. um so we ended up boarding him again for a while um and i did and i did 4-h shows like i did uh i rode western pleasure and did shows but i hated it okay <laughs> again it was the same kind of thing like being in front of people and stuff yeah now is that just like a st- what do you, when you say Western pleasure? What does that mean? So Western pleasure was like the main um, type of class that you would show in. Okay, is you just like everybody goes into a ring, and there's an arena, mm-hmm. and then you just ride around the arena, and there's a judge that's standing in the middle, 
and they'll say like walk your horse and everybody just walks okay and then they're like trot your horse and then everybody starts like trotting and then lope your horse which is like the sort of like gallop Mm -hmm. but it but they're looking for really specific things like western pleasure you need to be very like slow like very slow and like very collected um and so my horse always wanted to be first Mm -hmm. so like when we're coming up on a horse we're like maybe going a little bit faster than him it's like really doesn't look good to the judges if you have to pass another horse yeah because you want to be slow Mm -hmm. But if you're behind the judge, because the judge usually faces just one way, then you can do it. Okay. Like, you know. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but my horse always wanted to be first. And so I'm like, boomerang, like, slow down, you know, like, stop. And he's like, oh, we got to get around this horse, you know. I'm like, we're not supposed to do that. <laughs> so um, he was a really fun horse, though. He was a paint breed. So he was, like, brown with white splotches. Okay. And he was just, a, he was a great horse, like, pretty chill got really fat really easily we had to like watch his weight a lot Mm, but by the end of high school I was like okay I'm not going to do this forever so I decided to donate him to a therapeutic riding program okay for children with disabilities um and because he's like pretty he's pretty like chill Mm -hmm. horse um very safe and and he was always like the colorful horse that all the kids wanted to ride he wasn't just like boring all brown you yep. know? <laughs> um so so that was like an a good it felt like a good you know i don't know thing to do with, yeah. it felt like the right thing to do at the time um and then he lived a nice happy life there with them until he died a couple years ago wow. so yeah so the so my horse days were short okay but that's still that's really interesting. That was really cool. Okay, so then after what after the horses after your time in horseback riding or horse training, well, was it horseback riding? Did you like ride? I mean, like yeah, horseback riding. Yeah. Okay, because that's what I kind of pictured. And then you were talking about like taking them to shows and stuff, and I was like, well, maybe she didn't ride. Maybe she just like worked with them. And um... yeah, there were some classes like that too, but okay. it was mostly riding. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So then after that, you know, what what's next? <laughs> well, let's see. So I was in high school at the time and I um I was really into church at the time as well. So we I went I grew up at a Southern Baptist church. Okay. Um and I was like really really into youth group. Mm-hmm. Um so I did a lot of stuff with youth group like from middle through high school. Um and kind of, you know, worked my way up to be, like, one of the older students mm-hmm. in youth group and stuff. Um, and, like, went to all the lock-ins, did all the, like, had swim Bible study every week in the summer. And we would go to Kings Island and all, and, like, you know, do, like, I don't know, dodgeball and, yep. like, well, like, go to laser tag and stuff. All the, like, youth group All stuff. the youth group things, yep. Yep, yep. So I'm definitely a product of youth group kid. <laughs> Me too. It's okay. Yep. We, I've been there. Yep. <laughs> um, purity culture, the whole nine yards. Yep. Um, so then when I graduated from high school, I went to Western Kentucky University. Okay. So I went there, got my bachelor's there, um, and was really involved in crew Okay. Um, there as well, which is a christian organization on campus mm-hmm. i'm sure i know at moorhead they had it as yeah. well yeah um 
so yeah so I would and then I was like a bible study leader and crew and I did some things with international students and was just like that was like my main organization and like everything I did in college was with crew okay um yeah and it was also I mean crew was just like youth group for college kids yeah. so it was like you know all the same kind of stuff but you're older and yeah that's uh, I was I was a part of the BCM at Moorhead Okay. So I, I feel the same way. It felt a lot like just uh, older kids at youth group. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, so I get that. Yeah. In BCM, did you guys do, was it Thursday Night Live? Uh, we did Tuesday Night Live, but like, Tuesday, okay. I know other schools, they, they do kind of the same thing, but on a different night, typically. Like, I think UK is like yeah. Friday Night Live or something like that. So okay. I feel like we all kind of yeah. do the same thing, but I mean, I may be wrong but um, just a little bit yeah. different. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so funny because it sounds like like Alex, he talks about like Steve was mm-hmm. the president of the BCM for yeah. a while, Stephen. Uh, and I think uh, like when I meet Stephen and then I'm like, yeah, he seems like a BCM president. Yep. <laughs> and actually there was someone who was like really, like the Stephen of our campus was our BCM president. Oh, you know? wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very similar. So, yeah, it's such a, like, strong subculture, you mm-hmm. know, like, like Christian organizations on campus and, like, like how they're different and yeah. who's in which one and what that says about them. Yeah, for know. sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I loved Western. It, I think it's, like, the best school in Kentucky, but, yeah. of course, I'm biased. Oh, yeah, you have to be. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the campus is beautiful. There's like so much to do, like on campus, not really in Bowling Green, there's mm-hmm. so much to do, but it's just like, it, it's just like, it's such a college town. Um, Nashville's not that far away, you know? Um, so I, I love my time there. And so I got my bachelor's in healthcare administration Okay. Um, and with a minor in gerontology. Okay. And so gerontology is more of what I study now, which is study of aging mm-hmm. and older people. Okay, so are you yeah. ready to get into the topic of today's discussion, which is sure. something yeah. that is fairly not new, but, um, I, you know, I just don't know a lot about it. Like I, like I told you, I know the very basic definition of it, I guess you can say. But I was really, when, when Alex called me and mentioned this to me, I was like, I was like, yes, 100%. Like, I would love to, like, learn about this, and more people need to know about this, including myself. Um, so I was really excited. But, cool. yeah, so take it away. Okay, nice. Well, yeah, so thanks um, for for having me on. And I agree, more people need to hear about ageism. <laughs> um, and that's – so what I study is um, – gerontology like i said which is the study of aging so just like our aging process as we get older sorry we need yeah, to i feel like before we get into this we need to talk about where you're studying at because i because i was way off you know oh yeah yeah okay so <laughs> no that's fine so after sorry i got ahead of myself um so after after western what uh what was next so after Western, I was home for the summer, and I had applied for a Fulbright grant to the Netherlands. Okay. So Fulbright, you might have heard of it. 
but it's um, it's a, a one-year funding grant to do research abroad. Okay. And so <clears throat> a lot of a lot of people will use the money to get their like we'll we'll do their master's degree at the same time with a university in another country. Um, and you have to p- apply to the specific country that you want. Okay. So I wanted to go to the Netherlands because I had been to a few conferences in college and had met some colleagues from the Netherlands. And so, and like my professor, like said, like really pushed me and kind of set it up for me there. Um, <clears throat> and so I was like, all right, let's just move to the Netherlands and see what happens. So I moved there and, um, and august of that year um and uh i had been there before with my mom the year before on like a trip to do a little bit of research for my senior thesis so i had i knew a little i knew like kind of what i was getting into um and i lived with international students which was really fun Mm -hmm. because i i was not getting my master's it was really just a year of like research experience so i had my own research project and which was um about risk and um autonomy of nursing home residents okay and so i interviewed uh 15 nursing home administrators there so my main focus because gerontology is a pretty big field so my main focus is in long-term care or nursing home care Okay. Um, and so I um, <clears throat> designed a research project and conducted these 15 interviews. It's like very qualitative research. I wasn't like doing statistics mm-hmm. or anything like that. Um, and it was awesome. Like it was so much fun. I just got to like, for the whole year, I would just like, you know, find someone who I was going to interview who lives in another city in the country. <clears throat> I just like hop on a train, Google Maps, like did all everything for me. Mm -hmm. You don't have to like figure anything out really, like, which is really nice. Um, You, I just like walk into this nursing home and like interview this administrator, asking like all these questions. And I just thought like, wow, like the Netherlands has the best nursing home care (laughs) in the world, you know? And I mean, they really do have some of the best in the world, (laughs) but I, it was just like, such higher quality care than what I had seen in the US. And I really felt like nursing home administrators were, they were like asking questions and they had more support to take more risks. Okay. Um, so in the US, the nursing home industry is really risk averse, like do nothing <laughs> that's going to be risky. Like if, if this resident is a really fi- really high fall risk, mm-hmm. like they need to be escorted everywhere. They need to be wearing the belts at all times. So you can grab them if they start to fall. Mm-hmm. We like keep them, find ways to like keep them sitting down in chairs and have like the little beepers if they stand up because if they can't walk on their own. Um, that's just one example. But like the, the, state survey and the the regulatory body in the u.s is so non-trusting of nursing homes Mm -hmm. they don't they don't have like administrators and staff have no feeling of trust between them and the regulators and they don't feel like 
free to be able to explain a situation if like something happens and like you know they they don't they just don't feel free to like have a discussion with regulators um and so that like causes like like poor care sometimes but really like in my opinion poor quality of life because like you're just this person living in a nursing home this is supposed to be like your home yeah and there's all these restrictions on you because the staff is afraid of getting in trouble Mm -hmm. and to me that's like pretty backwards yeah I, i think like this is supposed to be your home like you should be able to walk around freely even if that might mean that you're gonna fall like okay yeah even if you have dementia because you so so well this is what i learned in the netherlands was like they would say even our residents with dementia who are pretty frail and like could fall and like if they fall it's like could be pretty bad like usually a fall sort of sets off a chain of events like you break your hip and then you get have to get surgery and then like you don't really bounce back from that sometimes Mm -hmm. if you are more frail yeah so this is why people, you know, like you, it could like end in death, basically. Yeah. Like if the chain of events follows mm-hmm. like it normally does. And so administrators are saying, even if a person has dementia and they're really high fall risk, we think that their quality of life is way better if they can walk around the place freely, mm-hmm. can look out the window, can go outside if they want, like and not have somebody who has to follow them all the time because we don't have enough staff to do that. Yeah. And so what they'll do is they'll get the family on board with it and have a discussion with the family when a resident moves in, um, especially if the person has dementia, still like what I'm, if the person doesn't have like late stage dementia, um, then they should be discussing it with the person themselves. Yeah. Um, and say, hey, these are the risks, but we think that this would be better for your mom because she's going to have a happier life. Yeah. And maybe this like ends her life a few months, you know, sooner, but this would be, she's going to enjoy it more. Things like that. Okay. So this, these were the kinds of like questions and like concepts I was thinking about. And it was just like fascinating to yeah. me. Um and I was thinking, wow, like if we just had like an, an inch of trust in the U.S. long-term care system, like it would really take us far, I think. Um, so that was mainly what I studied in the Netherlands. And then, like I said, I um, so I worked with a research group there and I was just doing my own research project. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had people like people who were more senior than me who were like advising me and it was great. I'm still working with um, a couple of people from there now, okay. um, which was really fun. So, and then I lived with international students. Okay. So that was a really fun part too, yeah. because like I had worked with international students with crew um, a little bit in college, but now I was an international yeah. student. Um, and most of these students were Europeans. There was like, girl from mexico and like a few from like other places there was some people from south korea but mostly they were europeans okay um and so i kind of found my little group 
and we would like cook dinner together every night for each other and we in also in the netherlands everyone bikes everywhere okay everyone rides their bikes so you have to get a bike as soon as you move to <laughs> that's like the first thing on the list um and so i we just like and i i didn't say this either i was living in a city called Zwolle, which is a smaller city about an hour away or an hour and a half away from amsterdam okay so um it was a pretty small city like there wasn't a lot of people when they study abroad in the netherlands they want to go to like amsterdam or utrecht or some of the bigger cities but i was this like small town yep. <laughs> and uh there were about a hundred of us international students at the university um and it was just so much fun i loved it i loved it um and i think this was also the time that i started to like have some questions about my faith as okay. well because i really felt this pressure like okay like i'm a christian here i'm with these international students like i need to evangelize and like i need them to like know jesus mm -hmm. and that was a that's like a lot of pressure <laughs> yeah. to put on yourself when you're the only one mm -hmm. um and I started to realize that it just like wasn't like healthy for friendships. Yeah. <laughs> I think like having this like really strong emphasis on evangelism and like sharing the gospel doesn't allow you to like actually just be friends with people yeah. and just like hang out with people because yeah. you're like constantly thinking like, okay, I want to build this relationship to this certain point so that like I can share this with them and then we can like talk about it and they'll come to church with me and you know yeah um which i which a lot of people do still but for me that was when i started to kind of break away from that like okay i just like want to know these people and like yeah and i was just having questions of faith myself at the time yeah. like why do we take the bible like so literally and things mm -hmm. like that so that kind of started my like deconstruction okay. process um of of that but anyway but that was so that was all. So the, the year in the Netherlands was like very formative for me in those ways. Um, and I had like two best friends from, they're both um, from Italy, Beatrice and Gemma. And so I'm still like really close with them and got to spend like two Christmases in Italy with Bea um, and her family. So it's just been like, it was a really good year mm -hmm. um, for me. So I had all, I was doing research, you know, um, doing all of this thinking about long-term care and how it should be. And then I, towards the end of the year, applied for the program that I'm in now, okay. which is um, a uh, network called Euroageism. Okay. So I have sort of two roles. Um, I'm a early stage researcher in the innovative training network called Euroageism. And that is a network of um, professors. There's like eight, I think, professors all over Europe. And then there are 15 of us research students, basically, um, that are in different universities throughout Europe. Um, and this is a grant that receives funding from the Marie Sklodowska Curie Actions funding mechanism of the European Union. Okay. 
it's like the most ridiculous it's like such a long like, <laughs> title <laughs> but you have to like get all the information in there because yeah. you have to credit the eu because they have funded this huge project yeah so the european union um funds these inter- innovative training networks um and so you don't have to be european to apply or to be one of those students um and then there they have some um countries that like are involved in this that are not part of the eu so i applied for a position in israel which is not part of the eu Mm. um but they pay money into this research project so they have then they are able to apply for these grants um so anyway so i applied for this position in israel um just outside of tel aviv at bar ilan university and uh i really was thinking that i wouldn't get it because i didn't have a master's degree at the time so i like a master's degree was required and i applied sort of under this guise of like well i did this year abroad doing research which is like essentially what i would be doing for a master's degree like this project is similar to a master's degree level so i should so like maybe i can apply and just see what they say and um and so then i got it i was like what (laughs) and my parents were like you want to move to israel like okay the netherlands is fine but like israel like i think a lot of people who like aren't Jewish or don't know much about Israel. I mean, this was my imagination of it too, but I thought it was, you know, they think my parents thought I was moving to like some desert village, Mm -hmm. you know, and like this like war zone, you know, and I, that's actually not the case at all. Like, um, Tel Aviv is a major city. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's, it's, it's a city like any other, um, Jerusalem, well, Jerusalem is a city unlike any other, just because of like all of the history there mm-hmm. and the current conflict in Jerusalem and stuff. Um, Jerusalem is like a really awesome place, I think. But anyway, so I was like, okay. Then I had to decide if I wanted to take it because I just kind of applied like, ah, I probably won't get it, but let's see. It's a good experience to, you know, apply. And I was like, okay. I'm going to like do a PhD, which I'm really perhaps not prepared to do, like probably should have a master's degree. Um, And it's like, it's about ageism, which is this topic that I really care about, Mm -hmm. which we'll get into. Um, But uh, I'm going to do it, do a PhD. And then also in Israel, like in a place is going to be more difficult to live than where I am now and I was and I had another a couple other options like backup options of doing a master's degree at a couple of universities in the U.S. Mm-hmm. and Virginia and Georgia and I was like okay that would be like easier for sure but I'm gonna choose like the really hard like the doubly hard thing like let's take a leap academically and like geographically yeah. you know um so I was like, all right, let's just do it. <laughs> and cause I think also I had, I look back on it now and I think like, I'm really glad that I did it. Like I, I took the, the leap, um, you know, there's been some things that have been really hard about it, but I think 
like especially women would be less likely to do something like that because like I don't know if you know the statistics on women like choosing not to apply for things because and and men applying for them even though they're like less qualified than women Mm. um and just like the confidence that men have naturally in the work space that a lot of times women don't have like in terms of asking for raises and things like that and so I am like really glad that I did it because I'm like okay I was I was underqualified like a lot of people are when they start jobs Mm -hmm. but um but it was worth it. And I, I figured it out, you know, it it was a really long road to figuring it out. But (laughs) anyway, so it's a three-year program. Um, and I started in October of 2018. Okay. So I'm supposed to finish in October of this year. Let's hope. Um, (laughs) it's, it's a lot in three years to like move to another country and then be there, figure out how they do research there and then like figure out what your PhD project is going to be and then take classes. And, you know, it, it's a lot in three years. Yeah. Um, and then the EU has a lot of like really specific guidelines and deliverables that they want you to reach. And so, um, yeah, it's been a lot of work, but it's been good. Um, and so I moved there and they're, they're out of the, there, so I said there are 15 researchers all over Europe but four of the 15 of us were in Israel. Okay. So I had, there were, I had three others with me. Thank goodness. Yeah. We would not have survived this on our own. Um, and so those three, and they're also women. They're like amazing. Um, Betty is from China Okay. and she had a baby halfway through. So she's like went home to China to like have her baby continue her PhD. She's like the wonder woman of the group. Um, and then Hannah is from Austria. She's from Vienna. And we just, we've had, we had so much fun in Tel Aviv, just like bopping around, <laughs> going to clubs and like, just like, I don't know, being part of the Tel Aviv culture. Yeah. Um, and then Seyong and Seyong is from South Korea. Okay. And her and I ended up, we were roommates the first year. We've been roommates throughout the whole thing. Um, so we got an apartment together in Tel Aviv and she's just become one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to Korean church there okay. in Israel. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I d- did not learn Hebrew. Okay. I like started, I learned like a little bit in like this tutoring class, but it was just, I was just like. I cannot handle that as well. Yeah, it sounds like you had enough on your plate um, <laughs> than just learning another language yeah. while you're at it, right. right on top. No big deal. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. Well, also, like, Hebrew, I'm like, okay, I'm only going to be able to use this language in Israel mm-hmm. or, like, maybe some parts of, like, orthodox pockets of New York. <laughs> like, there's just no, like, there's just really no reason to to know, like, Hebrew in my opinion like especially because I'm like I'm coming from Kentucky I knew one Jewish family before I moved to Israel okay you know like I don't I don't really know much about the culture at all like and I think even in eastern Kentucky there's like probably even fewer like nope (laughs) no Jewish community there right no or not that I know of (laughs) yeah and like I'm close to Cincinnati and so there's like 
a Jew, a Jewish school and like a Jewish community in Cincinnati, but like, I don't know anything about it. Really. Right. Like I know about it from the Bible. Yeah. Like, I don't know about current day Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. So this was another like really big learning curve as well. Um, but really fun because Israelis are just, they're such, they're like pretty intense people. Like people say they're, I forget. There's this, the name of this fruit um, in Israel that's grown, but it's like really spiky on the outside. Okay. But then if you like cut into it, then it's like really sweet on the inside. And so everyone says like, Israelis are like that. Like they're really spiky on the outside. Like once you get to know them, they're just like really solid people and they're great, you know, friends. Yeah. And I would say that that's true. Yeah. They're definitely <laughs> spiky on the outside. Like they're just much more direct and blunt and like the culture can be pretty harsh, like for an American, especially mm-hmm. where like Americans love to like hint around at things mm-hmm. and like really passive, yes. and, like passive aggressive and very polite Mm -hmm. whereas israelis are like there's just no need for that like you're you know i'm not gonna help you with this at the bank and you're like no you're gonna help me with this (laughs) you have to like really push and so that was one good like characteristic i think i picked up Uh in israel was learning how to like push for myself and like tell people like no you're gonna like like demand things because you really like you really have to like in spain there's this saying like don't take the first no okay and i would say that it's the same thing in israel like somebody says no like especially just all the bureaucratic like paperwork like at the university or the bank i mean everybody talks about the bank (laughs) like all foreigners who live in israel talk about the bank system because it's insane like you get there and like they give like you're gonna open an account and they give you this big stack of papers to sign and it's all in hebrew of course they don't have an english translation so you're just signing stuff you have no idea what you're signing you're like whatever and then they're like okay so we're gonna give you this bank card but you can only use it in israel like it only it doesn't even have like the full like 16 digits like a regular credit card it's like really only can be used in israel has like nine digits on it i think and they're like okay you're gonna use this and you the other thing is that every israeli has an id number um but when you're a foreigner you usually use your passport number so you just write your passport number on like everything okay (laughs) every document i mean my passport number is like out there for the world like (laughs) it's my student id number at the university it's just like it's on my it's literally like on my student id card like it's just you just like put it on everything (laughs) so you're like signing your password number with your name on everything and then they give you this card and then they're like okay we're gonna order this credit card for you that you can use outside of the country but you can only spend you have a spending limit on it of up to three thousand shekels which is like a thousand dollars okay for the first six months and then after six months, you can increase the amount to like 6,000 shekels or something like that. And um, so we're going to, and then, then they'll say like, we're going to order this visa card for you. Like they just keep calling it visa. Mm-hmm. And then when, like for two of my friends, they did it first when the mail or when the card came in the mail, it was like diners club, which is like, which is like a tight, it's like, it's like a credit card company, like visa or mastercard. Okay. 
but it's harder to use in foreign countries. And so they were like, you told us we were getting a visa. And they're like, yeah, you got a visa. And they're like, no, this is diners club. And then it took us forever to figure out that like, they just use the term visa for like any credit card. Okay. So I had to like, make sure I'm like, like I'm like showing them another visa card. I'm like, this credit card is what I'm going to get, right? Like this one, I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's what you're going to get. So, and then luckily mine is a visa, so we're okay. <laughs> so that's just like one small example of okay. like, that's what, that's like the first obstacle you got to get through yeah. when you move to Israel. And then I'll keep that in mind, you know, just in case. Yeah, just in case. Yeah. <laughs> and then once you make it past that, you're like, you're in, but you're not, you're never really never in. Never really in. in. <laughs> Um, but you're like, you, you feel like, you know, a little bit more about yeah. the world. Yeah. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's see. So then, uh, I lived on campus for the first year with Se Young and a few other girls. Um, and <laughs> yeah. The dorms, the dorms were crazy too. Like when we first moved in, we didn't have a front door to our dorm room, <laughs> like to our main area. Um, there was like nothing separating us, but like the like the apartment below us could just like we could just access each other's apartments. Okay. So we like told them like, okay, we need a door, <laughs> and they were like, okay, we can do that. It's like great, and then we were like also like so then i think like the second morning the, the first morning after we moved into the dorms woke up and say young came out of her room and she's like what's that smell and i'm like i don't know i don't smell anything and i'll walk out into the living room and i'm like oh my gosh what's that smell and there was cat poop on the couch like and you guys didn't couch. have a cat and I'm we guessing. did not have a cat <laughs> and so we were like what like there's a cat somewhere in the apartment and so we were like searching everywhere. We can't find this cat. We're like, maybe it's hiding down in the apartment below us. Like th- we know that they don't have a cat. Yeah. Also, this is like in the Middle East, it's like really common for cats. Like cats just wander everywhere. Like, there are okay. tons of stray cats everywhere. Okay. So we're like, okay, this is some like cat that came in off the street. So we're searching everywhere. Can't find it. Um, and so we like see evidence of it like every morning like it got to the trash one night Mm -hmm. and then like it pooped somewhere else you know and we're like how do we get this dang category so we're like emailing the housing department like there's a cat can you have it removed and they were like no sorry we can't do that (laughs) we were like what like what do you do (laughs) like you just can't you just like i don't know i mean i guess I don't know what you're supposed to do. So we eventually like figured out a way to like prop this door open and like put some like a can of tuna out there and like mm-hmm. all this stuff. Anyway, we like lure this cat outside, close the door. Luckily, like we didn't <laughs> have any more cat issues. But that was just like one thing where we're like, this would never happen in the US. Right. Like, <laughs> like what? And the fact that they were like, it's just not a big deal to them. Yeah, that happens, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can figure it out. Yeah. Oh, another cat. <laughs> oh, another exactly. Another <laughs> cat. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So those are the cultural stuff. 
in in Israel is just was much harder than the Netherlands. Like yeah. the Netherlands, p- Dutch people are like known for being direct, mm-hmm. like more direct, um, and just like kind of cut to the point. Um, but in Israel, they're way more direct. <laughs> Um, and so this was something I had to just kind of get over. Like you just like, people are going to be rude to you in your eyes. It's like them being rude to you and you just got to like deal with it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, don't be so sensitive yeah. and just like, like let it hit you and fall off you and like, whatever, don't like take it in and internalize it. Cause it'll really like ruin you. you know? I wouldn't, I wouldn't survive over there. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so then I <clears throat> started my research, had a pretty rough start as well, just like trying to figure out what I wanted to research. And um, I, I mean, it was, it's hard to collect data in Israel because I don't speak Hebrew. Mm-hmm. And so that really limited, all of us limited us um, to like what kind of data we could collect. So it took me like, two years okay. like or like at least a year and a half to like really figure out what i wanted to do yeah and this is a three-year program yeah. so like <laughs> you know i apply i like submitted my first proposal it got rejected and then instead of just rewriting it <clears throat> i was like this is not the project i want to be doing this is a terrible project so i just mm-hmm. like rewrote the whole proposal again and then like that was by by that point it was the fall of 2019. So Young and I had moved off campus to an apartment in Tel Aviv. And um, we, it was a rough start moving in because yeah, my mom came over from the US to help us move because we had all this stuff and we didn't have a car and we needed to like rent a car and it was just a lot. So <clears throat> anyway, um, driving in Israel is also really fun <laughs> crazy like they they're like there are rules but there are no rules it's not right. like a third world country but for some reason okay so uh, real quick i i traveled to peru a few summers ago and for some reason when you mentioned driving and how there's no rules but the, i imagine that it's exactly like that because like people <laughs> were cutting each other off no big deal and i was in this minivan and i was just holding on for dear life and the guy was just you know it was just natural to him so yeah uh, exactly he knows what he's doing totally i think like i've been in guatemala and i think it's similar okay in israel they're at least like there's a little more infrastructure there's like you know major a lot of major highways Mm -hmm. there's stoplights like people generally like follow those rules but Mm -hmm. there's a lot of just like people just cut each other off and like I told this to Alex and I didn't like think about how, what, like what it really meant until he was like, that's kind of crazy that they have that. But like every car in Israel is required to have these sensors on the front and like on the sides of the car that like beep if you get too close to another car. Okay. And so like every rental car has them, most taxi drivers, like they all have them. And so, like, that's just because, like, people cut each other off so much, and, like, there's so many close calls, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and there are, like, so many wrecks that they have to, like, you have to have this installed in your car to, like, at you if you get too close to someone, so. Yeah, the fact that they need that, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I know. I know. Um, Yeah, so anyway, so, um, let's see. 
So then I was with Sayoung. Then Sayoung got pretty sick, actually. And so she had to go home to South Korea Mm -hmm. for like three months. Um, And we were living together, just the two of us. And so then I had no roommate. And Hannah was gone for like the first month and then she came back so I had like a friend but like I didn't have that many friends in like most of my community was at the Korean church um, which I didn't get into yet but to a Korean church together um and they they had English translation um, for the like Sunday sermons. Okay. Um, and then they would always have a meal after church and like, they were just like my little Korean community, Korean yeah. community in Israel. It was just like, yeah, <laughs> it's so random, but amazing. Like the Koreans, like they were like, became my family, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and I ate so much good food, <laughs> like yeah. really good Korean food. So, um, anyway, so then Sayang got sick and then I was alone and I'm like trying to figure out my project for like the third time now and it just got like really heavy like I was just like really like lonely Mm -hmm. like not just alone but like really lonely and like I was like calling my best friend every day and we would talk on the phone for like two two hours every day Mm -hmm. and like um I don't know. I like lost a lot of weight during that time, which was really unhealthy. And it was just dealing with like some like depression and a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. And so it got to the point where I was like, I feel like I have no direction with this project. Like I felt like my supervisor couldn't, we weren't really clicking. Like I couldn't, I didn't feel like we were like moving forward in the same direction. Um, and I just felt like I had no, I was just felt like I was in over my head. Mm-hmm. So I felt like maybe this is not for me. Maybe like research is not my thing. I don't know. Like I was really getting, I felt like really disillusioned with academia. Mm-hmm. Like I was like, we're all just trying to write these papers and get published and like what difference is it really making anyway? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, like you, you really have to like make a name for yourself in academia and I don't know. It was just like a lot. And I really felt like I want to be working with older people, not just like studying them. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, and I just really had little direction in, what to research um and so finally like i I told my supervisor like i'm really thinking about quitting i feel like really overwhelmed i feel like i have no direction i need to go home and like think about this Mm. basically and like i need some like support from my friends and family at home because Mm. it was just like months of like being alone and just like yeah just like having a lot of like some pretty intense like depression and anxiety. Yeah, so, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So I went home, and then uh, I, yeah, it was um, good to be home. Also, like you have some like reverse culture shock coming back. You yeah. Know, when you're like, oh gosh, like who am I? And like, 
I'm no longer that girl who grew up on Bagby Road riding horses. <laughs> like, you know, I don't know. You just, you have to like think like, how do I integrate like these two people that I am now yeah. kind of or something? Um, yeah. So I um, was home for about a month around Christmas time. Um, but like was so anxious that I like couldn't even, I didn't even feel safe driving. Like I was like, what if I like have like a breakdown while I'm driving mm-hmm. or like I was supposed to go like pick up my nieces and I like freaked out and like called my sister-in-law and was like, I can't, like, I don't want to drive them, you know? So, and that like happens when you're like having a like, pretty intense, like anxiety, mm-hmm. like, like when you're having panic attacks and like, you know, having some pretty intense anxiety, so my best friend, she's living in Indianapolis. So she came down and like drove me to my dentist appointment and like, just like wow. helped me yeah. like calm down, you know? Um, and then I was, so after spending a month at home, I was really able to like kind of get back on my feet again and like um, feel more stable and more supported. Um, and then at that point, like in the beginning of January of 2020, um, me, me and Sayong was also planning to be, to go back to Israel. So we were like, okay, let's go back. Mm-hmm. And like, I had a better idea for my project, what I wanted to do, um, which was going to be doing some research in Scotland with like someone else in the program mm-hmm. stuff. So it was like, okay, I can like, we're going to try to make it work. Let's do it. So we like went back in the middle of January and then, um, we were there for like two months and then corona happened so then it was like and it happened like in in like china and south korea was like one of the first yeah. major like hit countries so Sayong was like watching a lot more closely than i was mm-hmm. in the beginning and um her brother was studying in china at the time so he went home to south korea and then it was like okay then we kind of came to a decision like it was like march 17th was like when everything shut down here yeah. um And like right before, like right around that time, it was like, okay, maybe like, should we, like at that point I was thinking like, well, I don't really want to leave because like now I've like fought so hard to be here Mm -hmm. and now I'm here. Like, you know, maybe we'll just like, we'll just ride it out. You know, everyone was like saying that in the beginning, like we'll just ride it out in Two weeks, right? Yeah, (laughs) right. Like, you know, yeah, we just thought like it would be over in a couple Mm -hmm. months. Everybody did um and so i was like okay well maybe we maybe i should go home like just to be safe and like also i don't want to catch covid and like be in israel and like relying on the israeli healthcare system as a foreigner no thank you (laughs) so um yeah so i was like okay i think it'll be better to be in the u.s um so i came home quarantined my parents basement for two weeks um and then was able to continue my studies and actually I mean, COVID was like terrible, has been awful mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Um, but I think it, like, I think it was good. Like I've been able to like really do my research and like really yeah. do my work from here way better. Like okay. I'm like way more productive. Like in Israel, it's just like things are constantly happening. And like, I don't know, you're just like, constantly dealing with stuff. Sorry, hold on one second. I'm actually getting okay. a phone call. Okay, sorry, that's my bad. Oh, that's okay. Um, yeah, so I think like being at home in the U.S. like allowed me to like, especially because you don't have to, like I don't think about I don't have to think about getting in my car and driving to the grocery store. Yeah, you know, 
but it, but like when you're living in Tel Aviv and you don't have a car, you have to like think like, okay, so I'm gonna like take these bags with me or like this like rolling cart thing. And I'm gonna go to like this grocery store and this other grocery store, cause that's the one that sells pork. And then I'm gonna like walk back and it's like a half a mile to do it. Or like, I'm gonna take the bus to go like, cause I need a new jacket. So I need to like take this bus somewhere. And you just have to like, relying on public transportation is like a totally different lifestyle. Um, and then you just have to like think about every every interaction that you have like so much more because you're like, how can I explain this in a way that's like easy to understand in English or like what are they saying to me in Hebrew? Like what can I pick up on from what they're telling me in Hebrew or mm-hmm. things like or you know and then you have to like push people and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, so it's just a lot easier yeah. to live in the U.S. when you're from here. Um, and so that has really allowed me to like do my research much yeah, more. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. And then also like, since I, so I like lived in Indianapolis for the summer with my friend and like her roommates just to like get out of my parents' house mm-hmm. because I was kind of going crazy, yeah. um, there. And then I, that's how I met Alex as well. No, well, I met Alex just this summer. Okay. Um, and so we met because, uh, one of my best friends, uh, Stacy, her brother is friends with Alex Okay. and Stacy met Alex. Stacy's married, which she, her and Zach like met Alex and like, we think like you and Alex would be really like good together. So they like set us up, which okay. was like kind of cool. Cause I've never yeah. like had that happen before. Um, and we met and then we just like hit it off yeah. right away and like fell in love. And <laughs> so so that's like that's like the best thing that came out of 2020 was alex for sure um <laughs> and uh that was like a yeah that's just been a really like fun part um and like just totally changed my life yeah i think but um yeah so we've then now i live in covington so then i got an apartment okay um here in covington because i still had my apartment in tel aviv like was just paying every month for this apartment that I wasn't living in because all my stuff was there. And I was like, who am I going to get? So finally I got somebody to like pack up my stuff, which is going to happen like this week. Yeah. So (laughs) anyway, so that's like (laughs) all the life stuff from the past couple of years. Um, maybe we can, (laughs) I didn't expect that to take, like to take so much time talking about that. No, it's good. It's, uh, it's been great. Okay. And and now we're at like the one hour mark and I think it's a good time to to get into to get into the topic. Yeah. Okay. So um so I explained some about like what I studied from Mm -hmm. my time in the Netherlands. Um and then um I guess I can just kind of explain like what ageism is. Yeah. Um so Okay, so there's aging, mm-hmm. like the study of gerontology, which is just the process of growing older. And then there's ageism, which is um, like the negative construction or like the negative beliefs that we have about older people mm-hmm. and about like aging in general. Okay. And so um, ageism is like, is a similar ism to like racism or sexism. Mm-hmm. And that it's like discrimination. Yeah. Um, and so uh, 
we, there are like three, like the more academic term is that there's like three parts to it. So there's discrimination, stereotypes, and prejudice. Okay. And so discrimination would be like um, if a company has like a mandatory retirement age mm -hmm. at 65 and you have to retire at that age. Um, usually companies do that because it's really expensive to, to pay older people. Okay. Um, but also because they think, oh, older, they're slowing down. They can't work like they used to work. Mm -hmm. It's better. It's more, it's, you know, more productive for the company to have younger people. So that's like one example of discrimination mm -hmm. um, or even like the age restriction at a bar or a club. Okay. Like that, it, you know, like you can only in Tel Aviv, there's some places, well, I don't know, maybe not in Tel Aviv. Um, but there are like some bars that like, you can't be over a certain age. So I didn't know that. I, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Like some like clubs, but anyway, but even just the, the minimum age of like 21 okay. to get into a bar is technically an ageist policy. Okay. Now I'm not saying that it's a bad policy <laughs> because like, I don't think kids should be in bars, Yeah. but like, that's technically like an, like a, a line that's drawn at a certain age. Yeah. Right. Um, so that's like discrimination. And then stereotypes would be like, um, all old people are slow or all old people can't hear. So you got to speak up to them when you talk to all old people. Yeah. Um, or, or like, um, all old people are conservative. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's like a big stereotype. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's just like any, like, um major like just like all-encompassing stereotype that's just not true for like every old person yeah um, and then prejudice is more about like feeling and it's more a little more internal and so it's kind of like like i would say like a good example would be like the anger that a lot of millennials feel towards boomers mm -hmm. or like the like we feel very like indignant towards boomers and we're like you know, you set up a bad economy for us and you always vote for like old white men and you like don't care about like the issues that millennials care about and like, okay, boomers, like a really <laughs> ageist uh, phrase, yeah. you know? Um, and so like that, like sort of anger or like just like, yeah, ageism that mm -hmm. we have towards um towards boomers could be an example of prejudice and, and also like that older people and older people can be ageist towards younger people yeah saying like you're partying and making covid worse like all the younger people are like making covid spread faster and they're not paying attention to the rules mm -hmm. um which is just not necessarily true like we would all say like no i'm social distancing and like i'm staying at home for you and like you know so just that like intergenerational tension mm -hmm. or conflict um, is like one big part of ageism. Um, yeah, so like I would say like another way to think about it is like if it's like the belief that we have that like you're too old or too young to be someone or to do something. Yeah. Um, and it's like associating a certain characteristic or quality with a certain age. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so that's why we say like it can go towards older or younger people. Um, but really most of the research focuses on older people, ageism towards older people, because it's just, um, I think it's the first place we have to start. <laughs> like, yeah. And it just has more like uh, negative impacts um, and it's more widespread. Where anyway, that's just like the state of the research in the field right now. And okay. I think we will evolve more towards studying like ageism towards younger people. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, you mentioned some some of the examples, and it's just like everyday things, like everyday comments mm-hmm. that people make that you never would really think is an issue. Um, but yeah, that's that's really interesting. Um, yeah, like I like I'm so ageist. You yeah, know? like even like towards my own grandmother. Like I know, like in the last years of her life, like I was so ageist towards mm-hmm. her. Um, and it is, it's just something that's so ingrained in us, like so much more than like, not, not, I'm not saying so much more, but it's, it's quite invisible. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, like racism recently has become like even more like amplified, mm-hmm. um, as an issue with the black lives matter movement and like, there's not an equivalent or like ageism right yeah i don't think that there needs to be necessarily because like (laughs) racism is like i don't know it's i don't think it's actually really good to like compare the two isms because it's like they're both bad yeah like we don't need either of them we don't need any of them like we really shouldn't be so biased towards people right um no like because of any characteristic um but yeah so that's like the basic part of it. Yeah. Um, I have a question for you. I want to know how old do you think Dr. Fauci is, or do you know how old Dr. Fauci is? Um, isn't he in his late seventies? Yes. Okay. He's actually eighty. He's eighty. Okay. He just turned eighty on Christmas Eve. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Um, which is kind of surprising. I mean, to me, like even to me, who I like study ageism, I'm like. We shouldn't put certain characteristics towards certain age groups. Like, yeah, that was surprising to me because I'm like, wow, he's, you know, or through COVID, he was 79. Yeah, you know, and he like runs three and a half miles every day. Wow, and he like handles this like national task force, mm-hmm. like a pandemic for like the whole country, and he's like, you know, obviously he has a whole team behind him, but like, still his accumulated experience allowed him to like handle the situation with like calmness and like he i don't know just like he has like more perspective more clarity on the situation like he has less pressure to like prove himself Mm -hmm. you know like um because he's like okay we just like got to get through this and you know so that's an instance where i think like dr fauci's age is like really a, a benefit, like a really major, um, I don't know, like, yeah, just a major like benefit that like brought, that he brought to the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but that's not true of every old person because then we can like, I don't know where you stand politically, but then like Trump is 77, I think. And like clearly does not handle things with like 
calmness and clarity and perspective. <laughs> yeah. So like, again, like, you know, there are some pros to being like older. There's some like benefits that we don't think about um, every day, but that's not all old people. Mm-hmm. That's like, you know, and so the big thing that we say like with like fighting ageism or like how to have a different perspective on it is that like the older population is heterogeneous. Like they're not all homogenous. They're not all like one type of person. Like mm. they're not all the old crusty man sitting in the nursing home. Yeah. Um, and the aging experience for people is so diverse mm-hmm. um, among everyone. Yeah. Like how you age and how you choose to age and the things in your environment, like those are all going to impact like how well or poorly you age um, and what kind of quality of life you have. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's, um, the basics. I guess I can like pause there. <laughs> if you have any, if you have any questions, I sound like a, like a professor. Like, hey, that's what I said. I you know, think about it as, uh, as you're teaching a lecture. Um, but <laughs> no, no questions that I can think of right now. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, the reason that we like tackle ageism, there's a few really bad outcomes that come from it. Okay. Not only that older people are discriminated against, um, but there are reasons that like we should care even beyond that, which like that alone is like enough reason to care is that like some, a group is discriminated against. Mm-hmm. It's not okay. Um, but like the anti-aging industry, so like anti-aging products, I would argue are like ageist products. Okay. Um, because it's this like very intense, like push back against like, like, first of all, you cannot anti-age. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, we're all aging, but also like, it's just this like really like harsh, like pushback of like, I like all things old are bad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like looking old is so bad that like, I'm going to buy products to like, not make me look old. So like the desire of our society is to like look young. Mm -hmm. Um, But just that industry, like the overall industry was made $216 billion last year. Okay, so what are some, yeah, okay, that's what I was gonna ask. What are some products that that you can think of off the top of your head? That's like creams, but that's also like surgeries. Okay. Like people getting like eye lifts or like, you know, and I don't think like, I think people should like do what they want and like whatever makes you feel good about yourself. I think most of my like problem that I have with it is just that it's like all associated with age. Like it's like, we can say like, we can talk about like protecting your skin, taking care of your skin or like, you know, even like, like trying to diminish wrinkles. Okay. Like I can kind of get on board with that, but just to say outright, like, I don't want to, like we should not look old yeah is like it's not the really best a lot of like subconscious like yeah training of people yeah you know? it's like like old equals bad yeah it's like a good and bad marketing tactic like people yeah. don't want to people don't want to get old because when they think about being old they all they think about is dying and you don't want to think about dying we want people to think that they're young and to feel young yeah. as long as they can but yeah yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it is. 
So it's just like, yeah. Anyway, so that's one thing. And then like, there was a study that was recently um, published last year that $63 billion a year is spent in the healthcare industry because of ageism. And so what that means is people who have, so like, let, let me like take a step back and break that down some. Okay. As we get older and we're exposed to all of this ageism around us and we have these really ageist thoughts, um, we can, we start to internalize all of those um, negative attitudes towards aging. And then we can even begin to embody those, those stereotypes that we have about older people um, as we become older ourselves. And so this is like the stereotype embodiment theory. But basically, it's all, like, I can sum it up in like, there's this one study that was done in the 90s. And it was like, they had like two groups of people and two groups of participants. And the first group, they like exposed them to like stereotypes about elderly people. Mm -hmm. They call, And like, they showed them like, just like stereotypical images um, about old people. And then the second group, they didn't, they did like something else. Mm -hmm. And then they um, monitored how people walked out of the lab when the study was over. And the people who were exposed to the ageist stereotypes walked slower when leaving the lab. Wow. So just like being exposed to those stereotypes, they like embodied it themselves mm -hmm. just in like that small amount of time. Um, and so, and these were like older participants as yeah. well. Um, and so that is like an example of like a very acute example of like, as we get older, we can start to like embody these things that we think all old people should be like. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. To me, okay. to me at least. Uh, yeah. I, I guess I'm speaking for the audience, but uh, yeah. <laughs> So we call these, these are kind of like called like self stereotypes. Yeah. And um, everybody has their own self perception of a, of their own aging. Mm -hmm. um, and so there are a lot of studies done on like people who have more negative self perceptions of aging or like they just think like just very poorly about their outlook mm -hmm. of their aging process. And this like has like really crazy impacts on health like people who have more negative uh attitudes towards their own aging yeah live on average seven and a half years less than people who have more positive attitudes towards their own aging wow like that's crazy which but if you think about it, it kind of makes sense yeah i could i can definitely see that from like a personal perspective yeah um I I don't want, I'm not gonna get into it right now, but yeah, like yeah, go ahead. Um, okay, so for example, well, okay, so for example, uh, my grandpa on my mom's side, he is 80, and okay. he still, I don't think about him being 80 because of the way he gets around. Like he he, 
not as he he doesn't run three miles a day, but you know. And then yeah. my grandma on my dad's side, she passed away, and they were the same age. But you wouldn't think that they are the same age just because of the perspective they had on life, you know. So, like, I, yeah. I can definitely see that, yeah. That's really interesting, yeah. I mean, it, like, it kind of makes sense that if your outlook and your attitude towards, like, getting older is, like, oh, I'm just going to, like, decline mm-hmm. really bad and, like, I'm going to have, like, disease for the last years of my life and it's going to be this, like, slow, terrible decline, yeah. then, like, that'll probably happen to you. Yeah. You know, like, it, it's sort of the, like, new age like manifestation stuff where you're like yeah. manifesting that for yourself yeah. but that is kind of like what happens um it would make sense that you like when faced with like a disease would be more likely to kind of give up or something mm-hmm. yeah you know and less likely to like want to push through right um so they live on average seven and a half years less people with more negative attitudes mm-hmm. and then um they have just in there's just like a plethora of studies. They just have like worse health, worse health. Uh, like they're less likely to participate in preventive health behaviors, which makes sense. You wouldn't like keep going to get your mammogram if you're like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm gonna die soon anyway. Right. Um, like they're less likely to be physically active, more likely to have mild cognitive impairment in later life. So it's just like, um. The more negative, like the negative attitudes that you have by your own aging are going to impact you mm-hmm. in your health. Um, and so that's why it costs the industry so much money. Okay. <laughs> the healthcare industry, because it's like people have these like really poor outlooks and they're not engaging in healthy behaviors. Yeah. And so, um, and that's just one study. So like there should be, there need to be more studies done on it, but that's just one example of like, you can see the impact like economically, but also just like individually yeah. of people and like health wise. Um, yeah. So um, the, but the other side of that, so then it's like, okay, so what do we do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we don't have negative self perceptions of aging. Um, but there's been a study recently that's like, but we don't want to be too positive. Like we don't want to be like, <laughs> unrealistic you know like we don't want to think like nothing bad's ever gonna happen and i'm just gonna like drop dead one day and that's just how i'll die you know like there is like people die from a disease or a condition like there will be some sort of like disease or condition that you develop in later life that like that is eventually where you'll die from like Mm -hmm. old age is like not something that can be like printed on your death certificate yeah as a cause of death you know um and so uh the like recent study said like it's good to have like a like realistic but also positive view of aging Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like it's not all doom and gloom you can like still do stuff when you're older um it's not like it's not this like um trajectory that like everyone's gonna follow like the same thing and it's already decided for you like Mm -hmm you have some say in like yeah. how you're going to age. Um, but you will die eventually. Yeah. So like, and you might, you will probably develop some type of disease or condition that like classes that. So like, 
but that doesn't mean that your life is over you know yeah. like you can learn to like live with that and you can you know so it's like this sort of like realistic but but more so positive um view of your own aging is like what um what we aim for i guess mm-hmm. um yeah so like for example i already have i i really like my gray hairs okay. like, i already have a few gray hairs me too do you, do you really yeah <laughs> okay isn't that crazy already in our 20s yeah <laughs> you know and like my mind popped up like when i started my phd <laughs> okay yeah makes sense this is an interesting yeah um correlation but i like want to embrace my gray hair as i get uh-huh. older just because i'm like i could like color it and most people do mm-hmm. but like i just don't really feel like a need to like I don't know at this point at this point you know like i'm like my first two gray hairs were like under here mm-hmm. and me and my best friend named them stephanie and greg <laughs> so like this is like a this is like a stupid thing but it's like a i don't know it's just like one way that i'm like trying to embrace yeah. my own aging just like it's gonna happen mm-hmm. i'm just gonna let it happen and like i want to like view myself as like worthy and beautiful and all of those things no matter what age I am Mm -hmm. or if I look quote unquote old. Um, And just like try not to view it as something really scary, I think is, has been helpful for me anyway. Um, And then the other thing is like not having like deadlines in your mind of like, I need to be or do something Mm -hmm. by certain ages, which is really like, I feel like at our age, we have a lot of pressure. Yeah. on ourselves to like, I got to finish my degree by mm-hmm. 22, 23. And then I have to like have a good job and then like start saving up and get a house and be married and have kids by 30 and yep. whatever, you know, but like, why, why? <laughs> you know, like yeah. what's, yeah. Like, why not just like be present and like, I don't know. I'm like such a like advocate for like, people just doing what they want yeah. like just do whatever you like who cares you know like I know it's easy easier to say that than to do it but yeah. it's like you know I don't know like there's so many different ways to live life right other cultures do it totally different than us yeah. you know and there's just no need to like have put that pressure on yourself yeah because um like i think it's good to like have goals and to like like reach for goals and like work towards them but to like beat yourself up for not like being at a certain place Mm -hmm. by a certain age is just not helpful like people change careers in their late 50s yeah you know and then they're like wow this is what i really wanted or like you know um i i don't know like maybe that's like could be like a factor why divorce rates are so high because you're like i gotta be married by now and then you like yeah. don't wait until like it's someone who's like really right for you so true yeah you know yeah and i don't know if that's true but it's just a speculation but it's just like to me like those those deadlines and those like expectations that we place on ourselves aren't aren't helpful mm-hmm. and especially when we think about like our aging process right. you know um yeah and then the other thing that's like to me is interesting about the aging process is it's sort of like a it's like a mixture of three things like how you are going to age and like how you'll be older is it's like it's um your individual like lifestyle choices like 
your health behaviors, yeah. your physical activity, your, you know, diet, whatever, how much stress you have from your job, what your attitudes towards your own aging are, mm-hmm. you know, um, part of it's genetics, you know, like mm-hmm. if you're more predisposed to have cardiovascular problems, then like you'll, you might get those, um, in later life. And then part of it is like, I would say probably one of the biggest parts of it is your environment. And so like, what is your background? What is your education? How are you raised? Like what income did your parents have? How much income do you have? Like, was there any generational wealth? Like what type of like privileges did you have or not have? Mm-hmm. Um, people who experience poverty or homelessness are going to age differently yeah. than people who don't. Oh know? yeah. 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 Um, and so this in the field, we call it like cumulative advantage theory okay. or cumulative disadvantage theory. And it's kind of, I mean, it's being discussed a lot with racism this year mm-hmm. in that like where you start is like you you likely will not like go much higher than that like the whole like pulling yourself up by your bootstraps type thing like Mm -hmm. if your parents didn't go to college they don't know anything about college maybe they're not going to be able to help you fill out a college application Mm -hmm. or look for scholarship money yeah and then then you like maybe go to college you go to one that's like not so great or like you go to some like private school that's not actually accredited in your area or Mm -hmm. something like that and then you're like fifty thousand dollars in debt or like thirty thousand let's say and then that's how you start like your career is like with that much debt and like you know and so that's like could be one example whereas someone else who like whose parents are like professors (laughs) has a totally different start where they're like they don't have to pay for any college let's say and then they go on to get their master's and their doctorate and they become you know or they're md and they become a surgeon or something Mm -hmm. like that like that is like you there is a a trajectory that part of your trajectory is decided by like what's going on around you Mm -hmm. um and i think that that's really important like there's a quote like you're only as disabled as your environment allows you to be yeah um which like um all of the like americans american disability act where they like have required like ramps to entrances mm-hmm. for people in wheelchairs and like that whole thing that happened in the 60s and 70s yeah um that was like one step towards like having a more inclusive society like more inclusive design um but your environment is going is either going to enable you or disable you to like be able to do certain things yeah um so yeah so that's like um like our circumstances determine a lot um and i think that that is like so it's good to have like that's like those three parts like help in the trying to have a realistic view of your aging yeah but trying to also say a little more positive like trying to do stuff now that's going to like help you later in life. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to just like have more positive attitudes. Um, Yeah. So my own research like focuses, like is on ageism um, and long-term care Mm -hmm. in nursing homes. Um, And so my first, I published my first article in October. Okay. That's exciting. Um, 
yeah, thanks. Um, and so that one is on um, actually how nursing homes, excuse me, have been portrayed in newspapers during COVID. Okay. Because like there's so much like panic, shock, fear, like disaster in nursing homes during like the start of COVID, right? Yeah. And like I don't know, like there's that nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, uh, that like became like the symbol because it was like the first place that like COVID really like went through. Yeah. <laughs> it was like one of the first places that like there was a COVID infection mm-hmm. um in the US. And so that became like sort of the pillar example of like, this is what's going to happen to your nursing home is you're going to be like, they're all like underprepared and um, like understaffed and under-equipped and just going to, the virus is just going to go to the nursing home and kill everyone. Right. Like, that's like, yeah. and that did happen in a lot of places. Like we were really underprepared in the beginning, mm-hmm. you know? Um but I was like reading these articles back in like March and April. And I was like, this is like going to change the way that people think about nursing homes yeah. forever, you know, like, um, so I did a study on that and, uh, like the languages and the stories that we tell have a major impact on society's perception of older people and what nursing homes are like. Mm-hmm. Um, so the big, the biggest finding from that was that like, there's all these newspaper stories and on like, you know, like a specific nursing home, like in Virginia or like a specific nursing home in Seattle or whatever. And there's like all these interviews that, that the reporter does, but really nobody is hearing from the residents themselves. Yeah. Like nobody is like asking residents, like what's going on? What's your experience been like? Are you isolated inside? Like, you know, is it, is it like, do you feel safe there? Do you not feel safe? Like, and it's so easy to miss. Like, it, mm-hmm. like you read the article and you're like, wow, like that's what's going on. These poor residents, like yeah. having these terrible experiences. And maybe that's true, but like, why aren't we asking the residents themselves? Yeah. Like that older person can like speak for themselves. Yeah. And so then what we hear is the family member's story. Mm-hmm. And the family member is like really panicked and worried because they're like, nobody's calling us. None of the staff are calling us. Like, we don't know what's really going on. Like something must really be going on behind those doors. Like we're not allowed to visit, like, you know, what's happening. Yeah. And it's like, potentially you should be worried, you know, but like staff are really busy, Yeah. <laughs> like really busy in the beginning, especially. They don't have time to call you. Um, but like the main thing is that like we hear that story, that like fear and panic, mm-hmm. and that substitutes like the resident story, you know? Yeah. So that was like, in my mind, is something that like it's it's a way that nursing home residents are like further marginalized from society. You yeah. know, like we like put nursing home, we put old people in nursing homes and we like shut the doors and we're like, we don't want to like see old sick people so we're just gonna like put them over here and like some people will visit them but like we don't really need to hear from them they're like probably have dementia and they're probably crazy anyway yeah just like as a collective society yeah that's kind of like the the feeling towards um older people and so uh that's something that i would like to do my research is like 
point that out and say like, hey, what if we just like ask these people how they're doing? Yeah. Why don't we just check on residents and we treated them like people who like can like we can trust what they're saying and like their their experiences are valid, you know? Um so that's kind of the the route that my research is taking. Okay. Now that's really cool. Um and we'll see. Well I hope I graduate in October. That's so exciting. Um, Still in Kentucky. Um for the foreseeable future, at yeah. least until I get a vaccine, and then I might go back to Israel and like get my stuff. Okay. But, yeah. Well, yeah. that is so cool. Uh, thank you for for doing this. This is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I have a brand new perspective on the topic, and I've been able to like think of things and relate it to my own. Like I like I mentioned earlier. Hmm. been able to relate it to my own experiences or relative hmm. experience um yeah. but uh what if we did like a what if we did a follow up you know after october yeah we'll, that'd be fun we'll do it I love that. um but thank you um thank you for doing this this has yeah, been great sure. thank you so much for having me it's been like a lot of fun i love talking about it obviously so I, I can go for a long time so well, <laughs> thank I, you so much for having me and listening